Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about America's Soviet wokeness. Ron Hall, author of Same Kind of Difference as Me, joins me in studio and wokeness in Texas policing and the CIA's recruiting lunacy. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Yesterday I did a little segment on wokeness and this idea of wokeness almost being like a national religion that has just captured the imagination of the American left and sadly seem to have captured the hearts and minds of many, many young people in this country who are just waiting to be told by the leaders of the wokeness leftist movement what to think about pretty much everything. Well, there's a great, great piece out today by Victor Davis Hanson, who is one of America's just, just extraordinary thinkers, writers, uh, social commentators. And he's making the analogy, which I just want to share with you. We're going to talk about wokeness again later in the show. But he makes the analogy to how we used to in America look at the Soviet Union, look at Russia and think it is so crazy there. The government tells the people what to think. They have no media distinct from the government to lay out facts, to make contradictory arguments. Certainly in the Soviet Union never had media, able, I'm talking about most communist Russia, able to tell the, Ameri the, the Soviet people what the truth was about the Western world. In fact, I shared with you years ago when Russia was still communist, I had the opportunity to travel there. And this, this was the time that the you know, Soviet Union, the Communist Party still in control. And as we're doing a tour, walking through the capital, walking through Moscow, there were these big towers like telephone poles all over the city and big microphones on top and language, just words spewing out in Russian 24 seven. I mean, literally all the time you're outside. We finally asked the guide, what, what are they talking about? And he said, it's 24 seven communist propaganda. They spend when people are out, you try to leave your home, go to the store, buy a loaf of bread, you know, pick up your children at school, whatever you're doing, in the streets you're hearing 24-7 propaganda from, about communism from the Communist Party. And it was the evils of Western civilization, the evils of capitalism, the, the greed of capitalism, the beauty of the utopia that was communist Russia. This is what you're immersed in all the time. One of the many examples which Victor Davis Hanson made in this article, and I really urge you to read it, it'll be up on our website later today, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under the very homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links, you can find this article. But he makes many, many analogies to the way in which the wokeness movement, the American left, has just captured control of American thought. One being how much of America's media is just completely in the grasp not just of the Democrat Party, but the left-wing, government-controlled society mentality. If you tune into Washington Post, New York Times, LA Times, ABC, NBC, CBS, all of the alphabet uh, organizations which purport to be mainstream media, all you're getting is left-wing propaganda. He makes this point, how different is America than what the Soviet Union was? How different is it in America when you have to work so hard to get to find truth in media. And another analogy he makes is 
how in the Soviet Union, when there was any information available to the people, if they came to understand anything about, gee, you know, in America, seems like things are nicer there. They have more opportunity. They are, they're better off financially. They have better livelihoods. You had just great things about America, those facts getting in. You had the government engage in ideological manipulation control the people's thought, just quickly dismissing anything they shouldn't be thinking. And think about, we've been talking about in the show a great deal about the cancel culture and political correctness, how any kind of conversation now that it, the left does not approve of, it isn't just that they say, oh, well, you think X, well, I think Y, let's talk about it. It's you think X, and therefore you should be canceled, you should be silenced. You shouldn't be allowed to talk about things that we have not agreed you can talk about. This phenomenon is repeated throughout American society, whether it's discussion of border policy, immigration policy, uh, tax policy, certainly if you want to discuss the really, really hot topics of things like COVID and whether or not certain remedies that have been available since the, nearly the beginning of the time America dealt with COVID should be publicly uh, discussed, should be available, should be trusted by the people. That is a subject which the government itself, through the NIH and other organizations, government itself works very hard Hard to make sure people don't talk about COVID policy. You most certainly may not talk about any of the anomalies in the November 2020 presidential election cycle. You have the Department of Homeland Security actually floating a regulation they intend to put in place that includes and expands the definition of domestic terrorism to include those who challenge the outcome of the 2020 election. Not about violence. It's not saying if you commit violence, if you do something violent, you merely challenge the outcome of the 2020 election and or the legitimacy of, an, of the power of government. It is a absolutely repressive free, free speech, First Amendment rights regulation. And this is not being floated in the dark of night in secret. They're bragging about it. They're putting it out saying, yeah, we're going to shut down these people who dare to think they get to discuss the anomalies of the 2020 election, the fairness of the process. And you see, of course, what happens to people who dare to support things like voter integrity legislation in Georgia, Texas, and many other states, vilified as racist and homophobe and evil and every other evil that the left can think up. I really urge you, in wrapping up today's first five, I urge you to think why what we're allowing the left to do is really okay with you. Why is it okay with you? Why in America are we agreeing that what we used to understand about Soviet-controlled society, government-controlled society, is happening right in front of our faces. Why is it okay with you? Because the answer is it's not okay in America. It's one reason I do this show, to speak up for the extraordinary, unique greatness of this precious country and the rights guaranteed to each of us from our very founding, from the Declaration of Independence, from the Constitution, from the Bill of Rights. Our job, as every generation of patriots has had the job since the founding of this country, our job is to preserve the extraordinary, unique greatness of America, including the rights of freedom of speech and the right to assemble, to associate, and to have robust debate of ideas in this country. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. I mentioned the start of the show, we have a guest joining us in studio, uh, which is always fun, of course. Um, and I think many of you may have uh, read this book or seen the movie or both. I'm going to show you the book first. The book is called Same Kind of Different as Me. It was written by Ron Hall and Denver Moore. And I'm going to hold it up and just show you. Um, this has been out of 2017. We'll find out after him in a moment. But it's been out a while. 
great, great book, true story, uh, and then made into a film, same kind of different as me, just see, you see it here, right here. And um, the beauty of this book was that it was a true story, and with a gentleman named Ron Hall, who's here with us today, who wrote this book, and essentially, in very short, it was his uh, life experience, life episode, of coming into contact and coming to cl be close friends with a gentleman who had been homeless and had a pretty rough life up until the time they became friends. Well, I do want to talk about the book and the movie today. I also want to talk about, and mainly want to talk about, the work he's been doing since that time to advocate for homeless policy, policies on behalf of the homeless people in this country that treat them with dignity and yet the expectation of progress in their lives. That's what we're going to talk about today. So without further ado, hello, Ron Hall. Well, thank you, Debbie. I tell you, uh, after hearing the first five, I want to tell you that you are the same kind of different as me. <laughs> I love that. That is, I am all about uh, speaking out against the, the woke and cancel culture. Oh, we're going to be best friends now. Yes. This is great. Okay. Yes. I spend a lot of my time discussing that because, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's our nation will never be the same again unless we as conservatives speak out because they are trying to overpower us and doing a really good job with it oh they are and you know the oddest thing uh, we, we can go off this for a moment the oddest thing about this wokeness thing is in the younger generation for people who grew up when schools were teaching more and more of a uh, kind of an anti-american view a pro-socialist mm -hmm. view they have come to this thinking this wokeness culture thinking it's the enlightened way to think like, like they're the advanced thinkers and we who are concerned about it don't understand what real truth is well you know today i read where they they canceled uh the parade permit for our veterans for our veterans a parade uh in new york and they are the people that gave us our freedom yeah and yet at the same parade the same time they gave the per the permission to the blm to have their parade and to the cannabis society Gosh, okay. well, I miss those stories. I feel like I should be taking notes. Wow. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a combination of thinking. I think there are some right answers in many questions. There's, tr as I often say on my show, there's truth and not truth sometimes. But even if you have different views, what cancel culture says is you can't even talk about it. If you say what we don't believe, you are to be ridiculed, labeled, mocked, and silenced, and they feel justified because they're shutting down something horrible and awful yes. and um, it's very dangerous because it's hard to figure out how you get out of it you can't just keep arguing the issues you have to argue the larger picture of we're allowed to have this american political conversation we're allowed to talk well and even in in our homeless work uh the 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 new regime is doing things uh in the uh equity uh fair fairness and equity act that they're they're passing that, that really uh, cancels a lot of the work that we do with the homeless. And, wow, uh, I did not know that. So the Equity Act has to do with extending the protections that formerly were there in federal law for race, sex. I mean, the, the laws we have to protect against discrimination yes. and they're adding into it equity. Equity, yes, yes. And, uh, and religious. I mean, if you want any type of assistance from the government, you cannot have any type of religious program. And whether people understand this or not, most uh, homeless people, uh, they don't become homeless because they run out of money. Uh, they become homeless because they run out of friends and family, that they have done oh, something that's... usually so bad in their family and friends, the circle, that they're just put out. 
And, uh, and so they are a little bit rebellious, obviously. And so when they go into a, uh, in order to really uh, help them, you have to get them into a shelter, a program, because many of them are addicts. And so you have to uh, trade one addiction for another. If they're a drug addict or if they're an alcohol addict, but uh, if you're going to really help them, you have to get them excited about something else. And, and we have found that uh, religion is the most thing that they can uh, get excited about because they can find help and they can find hope. They find meaning and purpose yes, yes. and identity in a sense, oh my gosh, yes. okay. We're, be, we're being canceled out of a lot of those things or they're trying to. <laughs> so that is so interesting, I never thought about that. I mean, cancel out of these great programs, help people. Well, before we get into everything you're doing now, and I have a stack of things that you're doing now, but very briefly for our listeners, I would be surprised to have very many listeners who didn't read your book. But very quickly, I'd love to have you capsulize that story. Okay. Your wife became yes. involved helping yes. the homeless. Yes, okay, and, a, and a, uh, a spoiler alert, I'll say my late wife, yes. uh, because I have remarried now. But my late wife in 1998, uh, we go back to uh, this story, what you said, you didn't realize when this book came out. Uh, it was first, it first was published by HarperCollins in 2006. Okay. So it's been out 15 years wow, now. Wow, okay. And it was a New York Times bestseller, stayed on the list for three and a half years. It was a number one New York Times bestseller. And the story is all true, but it's really in 1998, my late wife, uh, Debbie, we just left Dallas and moved back to Fort Worth so we could be closer to our ranch. And in uh, the first night or so that she was in, back in Fort Worth, uh, where a town that we had been to school together at TCU, uh, that night she had a dream, a literal dream, and she saw a man's face. And she said, the next morning she said, uh, Ron, I had a dream, an extraordinary dream last night uh, about a poor man who was wise. And she said it was like a verse in Ecclesiastes. Uh, that he was a poor man who was wise, and by his wisdom, our city and our lives would be changed, yet no one knew his name. Could I jump in and say, I've forgotten, I have it, the trailer. Actually, I'll ask our listeners, I sent Matt the very wonderful producer a trailer of this film, even though it's been out since, the film's been out since... 2017. Okay, so Matt, if you can quick play that trailer and then we can keep talking, please. I had another dream last night. Was it a good one or was it about me? It was about a poor wise man who changes the city. And I saw his face. Man, am I glad you guys showed up. Debbie, I got a sales call at 6.30. I got to drop off contracts north of town. No, you don't. Any infectious diseases floating around this place I should know about? <laughs> Martin told me about your friend. If you don't tell Debbie, I will. We've been married 19 years. We don't share the same life. We don't share anything. You can leave. You choose. What's your name? You don't need to know my name. Well, I'd like to know your name. Tell your woman to stop bothering me. You'd be doing me a big favor to just be nicer. You want to be my friend? Uh-huh. Well, I'm going to have to think about that. Where are you from? After my dad, the man put me up in a little shack. He didn't tell me that I could earn some money and maybe even some respect. You're defending some homeless man. You lost your mind. They're looking for handouts instead of using their hands for work. Then figure out why he want to know me. Done some bad things. You're not a bad man. And I'm glad we're friends. The world, you ought to start 
pretty sexy what you did today. Hanging out with a homeless guy. How was it? Actually, it was kind of amazing. Some things you need to know about Miss Debbie. She's the only person to love you enough not to give up. I love you, Ronnie Ray. Whether we's rich or poor, we's all homeless. Just working our way back home. Okay, I honestly, that was, it was really hard to even cut off any portion of that, but that was a trick. That te- told a lot of the story already. <laughs> so you took this experience and became involved yourself in helping the homeless. Yes. Uh, this uh, gentleman who was known as Suicide on the Streets. He had been homeless for more than 25 years. And when we met him, he was living in a dumpster or by the dumpster in the inner city. Uh, he had never been to school a day in his life. Uh, he didn't, of course, he didn't know how to read and write. And he was an ex-con. He had served 10 years in prison in Angola State Penitentiary in Louisiana. So he had everything going against him to keep him from being success or keep him from having any hope. But I can tell you, as we work with homeless missions across America, there are thousands of Denvers out there. His name was Denver Moore, and there are thousands of them. But just like he said, Miss Debbie just kept blessing him. And he said he told the people at her funeral, he was full of hell. And he said, but Miss Debbie, she kept blessing him and blessing him and never gave up on him until she finally just blessed the hell right out of him. (laughs) That's a great line. That's a great line. So you took this experience. Obviously, you just told me before we started that this young man, uh, this man, Denver, had actually come to stay with you after your wife passed on. He'd lived with you for a while. Well, her final wish to me was, please don't give up on Denver. God is going to bless your friendship in a way you can never imagine. And uh, she said, and by the way, don't name anything after me. But uh, with that, you know, a few hours later, she went to heaven. And then Denver, after uh, a few months, he moved in with me. And we lived together for the next 12 years as roommates. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) blessing you. Actually, I saw one quote you had something about. He says, I blessed him, but he blessed me. So, I mean, I want to get beyond this story, which is magnificent. But you became an activist on behalf of homeless. And it's not just um, protecting them, but it's finding policy paths forward for communities. So I want to just, so what is the answer? We right now, I'll tell you right here in Dallas, you obviously know you're here. We do have a growing population of homeless people who are becoming a little bit more aggressive and then sometimes disruptive. And there's a lot of clamor to the government to do something. So mm-hmm. what is it? And you studied the problem and going around the country trying to help. What's the answer? How do we help? Well, with, with mental illness, there's not a lot you can do unless you have a place that you can work with these people and, and help them through to get them medicated, to uh, help them with their illness. And a lot of the people on the streets need medication. They need, uh, they need medical care. Yeah. And, uh, and the hospitals are overrun with people because they can just show up, the homeless can just show up free at an emergency room and they can tie up the whole emergency room for all of the emergencies that are going on. But uh, I have noticed uh, across the country, as I've worked with homeless shelters all across America, the most successful cities dealing with the, uh, I don't say the problem of homelessness, I say the opportunity, because my late friend Denver told me, he said, y'all see us as a problem, but God sees us as an opportunity for the faithful to show his love. And uh, so uh, I see this as an opportunity, and the cities that are doing the best job at it are doing, first of all, uh, they find them jobs. Sometimes the city will uh, employ the homeless to pick up trash on the streets. They'll give them a nice vest, 
they'll give them a minimum wage and they'll and they can stay in a shelter or outside if they choose some people really choose to stay outside they they want to do that and you can't force them inside but uh then they uh some people are building uh, uh, tiny homes, but the people that I'm talking about that are, are sometimes dangerous and medicated that need to be picked up and taken to a facility, if you take them to the, some of these homeless shelters have clinics in there where they can detox them overnight and they can talk to them about things that are important and try to you know, have a person there that cares and will try to talk some sense in them to become a part of a program where they can radically change their lives, which is offered at almost every homeless shelter and uh, and most of these receive no government funds because uh, if they receive government funds they take God out of the, the, the equation I do so the I, I like that you're segregating uh, among groups of homelessness I mean the people who are addicted you can't really help them until you get them clear them cleaned up of the addiction so that's maybe a hospitalization or a, a clinic of some kind to live at but those who just need to kind of sober up but they may don't have an addiction they need the kind of counseling a homeless center can offer and, and maybe that's overnight or a couple they of have. days and yes and and the and the most of the successful programs in cities have a detox center attached to a homeless shelter where if the police pick them up, they don't take them to jail. They don't need to be in jail for that night. They need to be right. at a detox center that someone will watch them and then love them, you know, bless the hell out of them. Bless that's the hell out they, of them. I love, I'm gonna use that expression now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then what really is exciting uh, are people in Dallas uh, like Darren Babcock at uh, Bonton Farms. And have you been to Bonton Farms? No, I've heard about okay, it, but I've not been Bonton there. Okay, Bonton is a model uh, program for uh, for ending homelessness and if you can end if you can end you can really never end it but if you can really be successful in managing the homeless population and blessing them back into a life that's meaningful Bonton Farms in America right here in Dallas Texas is doing the best job of anywhere in America other than Community First Village which is a similar program in Austin Texas but uh, there are many uh, cities now doing tiny homes. And, and these tiny home villages, which uh, I think the Dallas City Council maybe just nixed the one that Bonton wanted to expand. Okay. expand. So uh, I know you want to ask me a question, so I'm going to shut up. You can see the look on my face. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I was with someone recently, and I had that look, and he said, and he goes, go ahead. And I said, I didn't say anything. <laughs> he goes, you should never play poker because you, yeah, you can yeah. read your face. But what I want, on Bontown Farms, because I hear about it so great. So it is, is this tiny homes? Is Bontown has tiny homes? Well, it's not, not yet. It, there, there are homes, but it's, it's, it's actually, uh, it's rehabilitating uh, an entire uh, community. Uh, that was landlocked in Dallas. It was one of the most dangerous places to Dallas and okay. Dallas to be and and no Person that didn't have to be there would ever walk yeah. in Bonton But now they have a beautiful farm. They grow their own vegetables. The community is all a part of it The houses are clean. They're painted there. Uh, the, the people have been transformed. They they have a, a church there They have a restaurant. They have a store all being operated by the people that live there And they were all basically not some a lot of them were homeless But they were all just the the lowest of the poverty in Dallas. It was the, lost, the most impoverished kind of, yeah. But the, but the other cities that are doing the tiny home villages uh, are are remarkable places also especially in Austin so who funds Bonton Farms? 
it's all privately funded. So this would be, I want to get into this a little bit, because I think that part of what happens as government programs grow, I think we talk about this on the phone, but if, if government programs grow, then people think, well, the government takes care of the homeless, but actually churches, foundations, all sorts of private family charities would help if they knew the need was there and they didn't feel like they were going to be, uh, that they felt it was their help was actually needed. If, and, and so I think that's part of what's happened with homeless policy is, as government programs grow, foundations and churches step back. And your point earlier about what the role of churches to give people a sense, not just we'll feed you and clothe you, but a sense of whatever, purpose, identity. Yeah. yeah. It's a family. It becomes yeah. a family. And my friend uh, Denver used to tell me, about he didn't take government money. But, um, you know, I guess he was probably entitled to some kind of check if he had yeah. wanted to go sign up for it. But he, uh, he would tell me that, Mr. Ron, uh, the, the only way you can change a homeless person is by love. And he said, and the government don't love nobody. Yeah. Actually, back to our earlier conversation, which <laughs> I will not distract us again, but on this wokeness thing, there have been people writing about wokeness as almost like a religion, a set of beliefs you must have. And it, among many things, there's no love in wokeness. There's no fondness, no connection. It's, it's, a, it's just a, it's empty. Hate. It's all hate and it's dark and empty and, and divisive. Okay, but back to this. So if you were in charge of a city and they said, look, we have a big homeless problem, well, run down the litany, what would you do? Well, I would take some uh, vacant land that the city has that they're not using or using for purposes that you know maybe are no longer needed. I mean, they have a beautiful Samuel farm out here that is, is it could be a, a wonderful place for tiny homes. I was just in uh, Springfield, Missouri, where they're building these beautiful tiny homes for the homeless. Uh, they grow their own foods. They even have their own cemetery there where they can die there. But the people that are living there, they're not just living there free. You have to do something every day to, uh, to earn your home that's there and you pay rent on what your ability is to pay. But they have little cottage industries where you can go in and make something and a store where they can sell it. Uh, they have a restaurant where you can come and eat and you can work in the restaurant. They have the garden that you can grow the vegetables and the food. You can be on the trash detail and they have their own kind of government there because in the same way they do in Austin at Community First Village. Both is started by one man, Alan Graham, and a guy in Dallas, Darren Babcock, started Bonton Farms. One person in these cities is making a huge difference, uh, like uh, Dr. Brown and his wife in, in, in Springfield, Missouri. They just had this vision, and one person, two people in, in Springfield are doing it. Uh, the coach of the Clemson Tigers, uh, Dabo Sweeney, uh, did the same thing. He, uh, he had a vision with some friends to start a tiny home village there. And we went there to see it and to help them raise and, and to expand it. But you give people a permanent home that they can afford and you give them dignity. You also have, they have a say-so in what goes on in, in their little village. It's, it's a marvelous thing. For them, it's utopia. And they, they are among people that understand them and love them. And, the, and then the volunteers come there and serve them. You know, I was thinking about the people who go there. If you've been homeless, you've been on the streets for a while, and this is a sense of hope. But what you're also learning there, these are kind of life skills you need to live 
outside of this in, in, in what you what may call mainstream American life, you know, personal responsibility, get a job, be able to pay for your bills, keep roof over your head. So do people who go into these kind of little villages, do they tend to stay there permanently oh, or do yes. some, they do stay permanently? Oh they don't. yes, they have schools uh, inside where you can get educated. They have a, a computer classrooms. Uh, you know, first of all, one of the main problems out on the streets is that the homeless, many of them don't have IDs, identification, to get into programs. And, uh, oh, okay. Okay. and that's, a, that's something that the city can do immediately, is they can set up a, a, a place for the homeless to come in to establish and get their identifications. Uh, they, lose these, they lose these ID cards, and they're not part of the system, a lot of them, and they can't become a part of the system until you can identify who you are and where you came from. My friend Denver had never had an identification card. He only thought he knew where he was born and he wasn't sure. Oh my gracious. So, but we found his birth records in uh, a small town in, uh, in uh, Louisiana and we're able to get him identification cards and all these kind of things uh, that he needed social security. So these, I, I pulled a bunch of quick stories. I'm sure there are more. I had Bonton Farms in South Dallas. I had, um, Spring, Eden, Village. Eden Villages, yep, Eden Villages, um, and there, you were speaking there, I guess, in the Ozarks in January, yeah, uh, and then Jacksonville, same kind, you were there yeah. too, speaking about, so. Oh, well, I've, I've done over a thousand events on behalf of the homeless and helped raise more than $110 million. More than $110 million? Yes. These are private citizens, and also I yes. would think churches would want to play a role. Yes. I mean, are, are churches involved in some of these? A, most, a lot of them are, yes, but, um, you know, it, being, uh, I wouldn't recommend anybody do what I did. I brought a schizophrenic ex-con addict in my home who did not read or write. He didn't tell time. He used to tell me, Mr. Ron, you know, you tell me I got to be on time and on place. He said, I've spent my whole life with no place to go and plenty of time to get there. Now you got <laughs> yeah. to tell me about time. I don't know about time. So, yeah. You know, it, it takes patience. You have to be called to this kind of work. You certainly do. And to invite, as you say, invite someone to your home. I wouldn't, that life no, don't, I don't yeah, want anybody doing Don't that. worry. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to help. And I love to spread ideas. Yeah. My, my show is all about spreading ideas and spread, that have value and worth. Um, so moving forward, you're trying to establish these. Are you establishing an organization and help spread the word of what you're doing? Because, you know, to have more and more people, cities, towns, and town councils hear about well, it. Well, we I mean, have our same kind of different as me foundation. Okay. And uh, it's also Same Kind Foundation. You can get to it easily that way. But the same name is our book, Same Kind of Different as Me, a charitable foundation. And we, uh, we try to help uh, uh, different uh, and smaller shelters throughout the city who are not connected, who don't know how to do all of the things that we have learned through that. I sit on the National Board of the Homeless. Uh, it's now called CityGate. It, uh, we we uh, oversee more than 400 homeless missions uh, in 400 cities across America. So uh, we know we're on top of the situation at all times. We know what's going on. Uh, and incidentally, uh, we had the lowest, um, I guess, uh, infection rate among uh, anyone, any population in the homeless community because we were, we, we saw the problem, we quarantined them in the, in the, in, in the homeless shelters and, uh, and we protected them. And so we had a very, very 
high success ratio in dealing with COVID in our in our. Uh, and it is really great. So if people, I'm thrilled that you're raising so much money. I'm sure that uh, large donors can be very helpful, but can, can just a common Joe donate to your cause to help? Well, they can, of course, but they can also donate to their local shelters, uh, which I love people that want to support Bonton Farms because they are growing there in Bonton. They're getting ready to build some tiny homes. Uh, they were going to build a lot more, but the city of Dallas didn't want them, and I guess you know, you don't understand. People think that these will be a bad neighbors and bring down your neighborhood. But when you develop a village like Bonton and develop like Community First, like Eden Village, they are models. I mean, I would move in there myself and I have lived in beautiful homes my whole I, life. Yeah, no, you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, um, I'm thrilled that you're doing this. And I actually, I guess one last question for, so cities around the country, it seems like there's just, and maybe it's just a political trend, but there's a lot of conversation about homelessness and what should we do about it. I mean, anyone could begin a program like this in any city. They just have to find donors, land yeah. and they they kind of need a how-to how do you get this started right oh there's 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 how-to's there I, the best how-to is really uh yeah i would say google community first village bonton farm eden village there's all of these uh, places even los angeles now has built a tiny home community in a vacant park that was so dangerous nobody would go into it and they built these just like 150 square foot houses and housing the homeless in there. The difference in what Los Angeles is doing and what other cities that are successful are doing is the amount of government that's involved. And when it's all government and not private people to go in and, uh, and, and love on them, you know, if you just put them up in a hotel, you, you hear these stories, let's put them up in a hotel. That's the worst thing you can do because it's just a, a, a free-for-all party and they'll destroy the building, you know, within days. They need, when you say love on them, I love that. It's a very Southern expression, love on them. Yeah. I love that expression. But it's really just showing them that someone respects you, that they will, they care what happens to you, they will listen to what your issues are and they want to help, yeah. which is really the message most people in life want to hear. Somebody cares. And at first sight and at first meeting, they're not lovable. No argument. <laughs> yeah. Ron Hall, I love what you were doing. I'll mention for our listeners again, your original book, which I did have at home, same kind of different as me. If you have not read this, I cannot urge you strongly enough to do that. And also, Ron brought in a, day, a book today, which I had not seen, which I now own, Working Our Way Home. And it's a, it's a newer book. Is that this it year? It is, huh? Okay. It tells our the rest of the story. Okay, tell us the rest of the story. Uh, and then the film too, same kind of different as me. I know we watched this, our family did. It's a, a regular blubber fest actually. But anyway, <laughs> it was very, very good. So Ron Hall, thank you so much for coming thank and joining you, me today. Right. Just great talking with you. Been a pleasure. One more quick topic I want to hit today, my very fine friends, um, as I told you to start, that is wokeness. This is my theme, I'm getting on this wokeness thing. Texas policing and CIA's recruiting lunacy not kidding so first of all i sent matt the wonderful a brief clip of this actually happened really near we're, we're here in dallas uh, it's not actually nighttime here it's just the stormiest darkest day today it's, it's a thundering lightning but anyway in plano just north of dallas there was an incident over the weekend where some black lives matter protesters blocked an intersection so cars all four directions just stuck and then a little bit of an altercation happened i sent this to matt the wonderful quick play a clip for you Get the fuck out of my way! 
Okay, watch this right here. Watch what's about to happen. So watch the guy in the blue shirt. He's kind of mad. Watch this. He smacks the phone out of that young woman's hand, okay? I'm hoping they can hear me here, Matt. Okay, so we can cut it off there. So I want to explain what happened. So this is a busy intersection in Plano. You know, Plano is a very well, highly populated city, very popular. So the guy, the pedestrian, the driver who got out of his car to say, get out of the streets, he knocked the phone out of that lady's hand. She's holding her phone, trying to film it. He knocked it out of her hand. He was arrested and charged with simple assault. The people blocking the intersection, so no one could go anywhere. No one, by the way, no one gets a permit to block traffic. You may get a permit to march, to protest. You're supposed to be in an area where you don't block pedestrian traffic or certainly not street traffic. They just had a protest. It involved, uh, I believe it involved the death of a young man in custody. And then it may, it may be an issue that was there was wrong conduct or not. I'm sure it's being investigated. But the BLM protesters got out in the streets, and as you saw, the police did nothing. The police protected the protesters and kept telling the driver to go back to his car, which he was not happy about. So that incident resulted in the gentleman who was not involved in the protest, the driver who's got a little bit aggressive there, he's charged, nobody else is charged. And so the great thing that came out of this, at least in the great state of Texas, our Attorney General Ken Paxton came out with a statement essentially saying, to the Plano police, hey, wait a minute. You cannot permit lawlessness. You can't take the side of the lawbreakers who are blocking traffic and then get after the people who don't like the traffic being blocked. So I don't know that any further thing, I'm gonna guess the Plano police or Plano DA is gonna drop the charges. But in the broader thing, this goes back to my wokeness point. We become so manipulated into this wokeness view that Black Lives Matter is legitimate no matter what they claim. And they have some legitimate claims, they do. I mean, everyone gets to be in the political conversation. They may have legitimate complaints, even about this incident in Plano, I don't know. But what we've been accustomed to, we've been manipulated into, is assuming that they can never be at fault for the protests. They can't be prosecuted, they can't be stopped, the police can't tell them what to do. And the police are not there acting because they actually like those protests. They're engaging and they're standing back, standing down, because that, and this is my speculation, they are standing down because that is the instruction they got. They were told, you better stand down, so let the protests spill in the streets, let all the traffic be blocked. You know, I was thinking, what if someone was in that street, like, you know, on the way to the hospital because the wife's having the baby? I and mean, what if there was some real emergency happening and everyone has to stop because we can't possibly ever criticize the behavior of the people who are um, in the streets, and that is just wrong. And so. A.G. Paxson, good for him, told the Plano police, you know, this is really out of line. I'm hoping they drop charges against this guy. And I really, do, I'll tell you the other thing, you can't solve any problem in this country or any problem in society if what your, your choice is, is that one side gets to badger and the other side submits. This is not a negotiation, it's just a surrender, it's just submission. And you don't get anywhere because it's not like that group protesting in Plano was saying, we demand X, Y, and Z. Because then you have something to, to negotiate, something to debate. Oh, okay, well, you want to have an investigation into the death of this man in custody? Yes, we agree we'll have an investigation. You want to know the facts, or wh whatever the demands are. If you make demands and then have a response, that's a negotiation. That's adult conversation. That's how you carry things out in civilized society. These people are saying, we block traffic until we're done. 
and everybody just has to wait. We cannot even start on this path because it's one of the steps on the path of losing the whole concept of civil liberty and a civil society. So good for Ken Paxton. I don't know what's going to happen. The other one, which is not exactly related in terms of law and order, but on the complete lunacy of what the wokeness culture is bringing to America, you know, the Central Intelligence Agency, we used to think it's like the coolest, you know, it is law and order central. The actual CIA put out a recruiting video. I'm going to ask Matt the Wonderful to play a portion. This is a, C, no, it's actually the whole thing, I think. It's a CIA recruiting video to get new people to come and work at the CIA. Just listen to what they sell about themselves. When I was 17, I quoted Zora Neale Hurston's How It Feels to Be Colored Me in my college application essay. The line that spoke to me stated simply, I am not tragically colored. There is no sorrow dammed up in my soul nor lurking behind my eyes. I do not mind at all. At 17, I had no idea what life would bring, but Sora's sentiment articulated so beautifully how I felt as a daughter of immigrants then and now. Nothing about me was or is tragic. I am perfectly made. I can wax eloquent on complex legal issues in English while also belting Guayaquil de mis amores in Spanish. I can change a diaper with one hand and console a crying toddler with the other. I am a woman of color. I am a mom. I am a cisgender millennial who's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I am intersectional, but my existence is not a box checking exercise. I am a walking declaration, a woman whose inflection does not rise at the end of her sentences, suggesting that a question has been asked. I did not sneak into CIA. My employment was not and is not the result of a fluke or slip through the cracks. I earned my way in and I earned my way up the ranks of this organization. I am educated, qualified, and competent. And sometimes I struggle. I struggle feeling like I could do more, be more to my two sons. And I struggle leaving the office when I feel there's so much more to do. I used to struggle with imposter syndrome. But at 36, I refuse to internalize misguided patriarchal ideas of what a woman can or should be. I am tired of feeling like I'm supposed to apologize for the space I occupy rather than intoxicate people with my effort, my brilliance. I am proud of me, full stop. My parents left everything they knew and loved to expose me to opportunities they never had. Because of them, I stand here today a proud first-generation Latina and officer at CIA. I am unapologetically me. I want you to be unapologetically you, whoever you are. Know your worth. Command your space. Okay. I'm almost speechless, but as you may, I'm never speechless, but pretty close. This woman is, her job and the job of whoever wrote the script for this CIA ad, this actually went out as a CIA recruiting tool. No mention of the purpose of a CIA, the mission of the CIA, the greatness of America, the value and beauty of defending this country by serving the CIA, by serving to protect America's interests. Nothing about the greatness of America. It was intersectional gobbledygook, could have been a college freshman class in intersectionality. You know, I used to have a long litany of names I would put on these courses they take. It has nothing to do with the role they have at the CIA. Nothing to do with what the CIA does. 
and infused in all of those terms when they are cis, uh, cisgender and non-patriarchal and all those other terms, those are leftist terms that are used to undermine the basic foundational building blocks of America. That's what they are. The left wing Marxist view that deplores America, deplores America as racist, deplores America as a terrible country with a terrible racist history. This is what the left has been doing to our country for generations, through our public schools and through other ways the left is sending the message that the very foundational idea of America is a bad idea. It's what the 1619 Project was that came out of New York Times. It's the whole concept, the 1619 Project being taught in the public schools is to undermine the very idea of America and all of this division of America into silos. So you are an, you are a, I mean, I don't even want to use the word cisgender. You know, you're, you're a female and so you're therefore opposed to males. You are this ethnicity, so you're therefore opposed to some other ethnicity. You're this skin color, so you're the enemy of some other skin color. The beauty of America, the concept of America, the best country ever formed, but the concept of America is that we are rooted in ideas. It's the reason America's founding is not about a tribalistic, you know, one tribe conquering another. America is about the ideas reflected in the Declaration of Independence, spelled out in the Constitution, and reflected in almost all of America's history. America has been never perfect. Yes, we had slavery at the time of the founding. Yes, women couldn't vote at the time of the founding. No one says America was perfect at the time of the founding, but the ideas that formed America were perfect and are perfect. And this is the problem we have right now and the issue we're facing in this country. You have the American left cannot tolerate the foundational ideas of America. They cannot tolerate the notion of freedom and the freedom of the individual and the idea the individual has rights from God because they were born, which is the way I paraphrase the Declaration of Independence, uh, the opening to that. The whole concept of America is antithetical to what left-wing America is trying to do to our country right now. Left-wing America is trying to divide us in every possible way they can to pit us against each other, to cause us to see each other in terms of our skin color, as I say, the wrapping you happen to come in when you were born, and that's your identity, rather than the values you believe in, the virtues you live, the ideas you practice, the, the, the things you believe in, which are really what make people individual, unique, and precious and great. But the concept the left is doing is dividing this country. And when you get the CIA among the most important agencies in Washington, thinking that the way to send out a message to bring in new people is to blather away about cisgender, patriarchal, I can't even think of all the terms they had in there. Uh, I mean, there were a whole bunch of them. I, and I actually, cisgender, uh, woman of color, intersectional, all of, and, and by the way, intersectional, before I gotta wrap up today, I'm almost out of time, but on intersectional, this concept, it means every possible grievance that exists in America is lumped together and that's intersectionality and all it ends up doing is turning people away from a possible sense of unity with their fellow man. It turns people away from love of America. It turns people away from respect for other individuals and their unique identities. The whole effort of the American left to divide this country, we are watching it in spades, in full, full screen color in this country right now. And the idea that the CIA I mean, they, they got a lot of, to be fair, they got mocked, ridiculed, criticized for this ad, and, and they're, they're just doubling down. They're not saying, yeah, we got kind of carried away, or, you know, we had the loopy HR people come up with that. We'll come up with a better one. 
What about talking about the unique greatness of America and that there are many enemies around this world who definitely want to take America down and that our job as a CIA is to stand up for America. In fact, the CIA's job, their mission is supposed to be to gather and share intelligence to protect our nation from threats. Would you gather anything like that from that ad? I mean, the ad, I, I know it's easy to make flippant remarks or make jokes about that ad and it got i mean even the the late night talk shows were mocking that ad i mean a lot of people have been but i think it's a more serious thing than just to mock and say wow what a goofy ad what did the people of the cia what do they think their mission is are they so overwhelmed with this left-wing wokeness cisgender train you know all the garbage and words they put together are they so overwhelmed with it that they lost track of actually no we're supposed to recruit people who love america who want to take risks on behalf of america who want to fight for america who want to be in the cause of exposing threats against america that's what they should be trying to find and yet they're trying to make sure every possible you know outraged minority outraged uh group in the country feels oh wow they'd love to have me because i i hate other people too I, I i mean it could not be a more pathetic commentary on the cia and on that point of what they should do as a cia there's an article linked at our website americacanwetalk.org by fred flights of the center for security policy and what he's saying is a little bit you know upsetting but a little bit good he's saying actually the cia has kind of trended more liberal, more leftist, more kind of, you know, into the, um, into the realm that you would think belonged at, you know, some Harvard sociology party. Uh, that's how they have trended more. But the fact is, we can restore the CIA to its right place, rightful place. And it is going to take some battling. It's going to take redefining the greatness of America, the goodness of America, and the role that the CIA, FBI, and, and all sorts of other agencies in Washington must have, which is to preserve and restore the actual good, noble idea that is America. I'm gonna reach out to Fred Fleiss. He's been on the show numerous times. I'm gonna get him on again and talk about this because we've got to do something more than just mock and ridicule and add the CAA put out. We have to understand what's the mindset of these people that they would actually choose that. That someone, as my husband often jokes about, I mean, they sat around in a room, somebody with the decision-making power and watch that as a final cut and said, yeah, yeah, that'd be good to put out as a recruiting ad. That makes sense. I mean, where was the sane person in the room saying, what are you talking about? Why are you talking about, you know, the, the role of the CIA? Where, where is the sane person in the room? There wasn't one. This passed muster at the highest levels of the CIA as a really clever idea of what to put out in order to recruit people to serve. Now, I am not saying, I mean, I want the CIA and every other federal, every other agency Obviously, I want them to treat women fairly and equally. I want to have people of every race, gender, ethnicity, national origin, no discrimination. I oppose discrimination. I'm not saying that those things don't matter, but that's not the point of a recruiting ad. You could have a Hispanic woman doing a recruiting ad and, and send that message, or you could have a, a disclaimer at the end that says, you know, we hire, uh, we don't discriminate based on race, sex, gender, blah, blah, blah. You could say those things and make the same point but this is the, the entire message, the, the, you know, the core message coming from that ad was we're just a, like a sociology department at Harvard here. Nothing different, nothing special, nothing unique about the role of the CIA, which is one of the most important agencies in Washington. Before I get to my closing, why it matters to you, I want to remind you very much, if you are not a member of America Can We Talk, this would be a good week to join. Our Thursday show is for members only. It's in studio here. We have an in studio audience, a different, um, not the same studio, but right down the hall. 
in-studio audience, and we have, I'm flying in this week, the chairman of the Arizona GOP, Dr. Kelly Ward. She is overseeing, on behalf of the GOP in Arizona, the uh, audit and recount of the Maricopa County vote. And I gotta tell you, I've just begun listening to the interview she's been doing and the, the um, statement she's been putting out. People, if you don't know how desperate the Democrat Party is, the party officials around this country, how desperate they are to shut down this audit, to block access to the voting machines, to block access to the router, you've got to listen to her to understand. They are desperate to prevent this recount, and I'll allow you to speculate why that would be. But this Thursday, America Can We Talk, if you'd like to join, it's a mere $5 a month, $50 a year. It's, you know, it's practically nothing, as a good friend of mine has said. And you can be part of our Thursday shows. Every week we have a great guest, or sometimes it's just me, but we have a great American political conversation every Thursday, members only. You can join by going to our website, americacanwetalk.org. And on the homepage, right along the top, says members. Hit that members button. It says join. You hit join. You can do $5 a month, $50 a year. And they are great conversations. Plus, you're really part of the conversation. Kelly's sitting there. I'm sitting there. You can be texting in questions to Matt the Wonderful. You can email me questions ahead of time. It's a great, lively, interactive conversation with our guest. And this week, Dr. Kelly Ward. She is, I mean, if you watch my show all the time, you know, she's been on before. She's a good friend. She's actually a medical doctor as well as a, um, the chair of the Arizona GOP. And she has been relentless in pursuing election fraud in Arizona and the Maricopa County recount. You'll love to see her Thursday. Hope you'll choose to join. At the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started to say about America's Soviet wokeness, why it matters. Victor Davis Hanson, American treasure. He is brilliant, by the way. Historian, classicist, author, astute observer compares USA under wokeism to post-Soviet control of the masses. Generations of Americans have a dulled sense of the privilege of freedom and of free, independent thought. Accepting dictates on behavior for public health. Accepting dictates on the only way to think about election fraud, COVID, vaccines, climate change, according to big tech. Accepting CRT, critical race theory, and defunding the police, akin to a trance or a mesmerized state, Will enough of the under 45-year-old Americans wake up in time? And we talk about wokeness, Texas policing, and the CIA's recruiting lunacy. Uh, that's not what they named their um, thing. I call it recruiting lunacy. They called they were they were proud of the recruiting ad. Anyway, Plano, Texas police accommodate BLM protesters illegally blocking traffic, arrest a citizen who objects. Texas AG Paxton stepped up with a public rebuke of the Plano police. Wokeness apparently requires tolerating lawlessness by some citizens. CAA recruiting video touting cisgender, woman of color, and intersectional status as the core message of the ad. No mention of keeping America safe or of the CIA's stated mission to gather and share intelligence to protect our nation from threats. Wokeism isn't just shallow obsession with skin color or other identity traits or mere thoughtless submission to the new rules of anti-American wokeism. It is dangerous because it corrupts and distracts those who would protect us. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much, very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time.
truth about America. Can you